0: We crossed the border! The border crossed us! We crossed the border!
1: Before we begin today's episode, we'd like to send our condolences to the family of Claudia Patricia Gomez-Gonzalez, a 20-year-old indigenous Guatemala woman who was shot in the head and killed in cold blood by the U.S. Border Patrol in Laredo, Texas. For migrants who travel to this country in search of an opportunity and a better life, the journey is often long and perilous, filled with danger lurking behind practically every corner. With migrants oftentimes traveling through multiple nations at the mercy of traffickers, coyotes, cartels, gangs, national police, and then assuming they even make it to the borders of this country, they still have to traverse what is without a doubt one of the most dangerous and heavily militarized borders and law enforcement agencies in the entire world. While Claudia's death took place shortly after the recording of this episode, we hope that you keep her story in mind during today's talk while we discuss the journey many migrants here in the American Southwest experience, the sacrifices they make, the many complicated, nuanced issues and history which surrounds that about our nation's southern border, and the long, violent legacy which has led to where we are today. And now, with that said, back to the show. Internets, what's good? Welcome back to the second episode of Step Off Radio. I'm DJ Shere Khan, a.k.a. Rob Camacho, and joining me as always is... I'm
2: Jose Cortez, a.k.a. the Specter of Communism, Haunting Southern California. Using the original translation, you can call me the Hobgoblin of Communism, you know.
1: Already, man. And, boy, do we got a lot to talk about this week. There's a lot that has transpired over the past week in regards to a lot of things we're going to talk about in this episode. So just to break y'all in, I'm pretty sure you guys have already heard about the recent... Microaggressions and war on Spanish speakers here in the U.S. Um, if y'all haven't heard, um, there's two big, um, two two big events. Uh, one happened last week in uh, Harv, Montana, where a border patrol agent detained two American citizens simply for the fact that they were speaking Spanish. Ain't that some shit?
2: Just the latest in a round of attacks against brown people in this country, I mean, it kind of calls back to that period in the 30s and 20s where they were like sending off train loads of people, uh, specifically like trying to like target like brown people as a way of alleviating uh, the capitalist crisis that they had done in the Great Depression. So yeah, like we're seeing a great like spike, especially I would uh, say probably linked to the latest Trump comments and
1: Jeff Sessions comments. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like, so just to set just a Give some background over here. So the, these two women, um, Ana Suda and Mimi Hernandez, these are they're two Mexican-American women, and they're, and meaning they're U.S. citizens. They're, you know, not that it should make a difference, but they are U.S. citizens. They were born here in the States, and they were here at this convenience store speaking Spanish to one another. They speak Spanish fluently, and this Border Patrol agent decides to go up to them, and they, uh, they recorded this on, on their cellu- cellular phone. The part of this confrontation while they're being detained and the agent says to them quote ma'am the reason i asked you for your id is because i came in here and i saw that you guys are speaking spanish which is very unheard of up here well wait a second motherfucker i've been told a couple hundred years ago english was unheard of in this in, <laughs> in this, this country too so so these um so for 40 minutes they're detained and Humiliated and made a whole scene in this parking lot here, um, simply for the for the heinous crime of speaking another language other than English. Like, ain't that some shit? Yeah, I mean, as always, uh, it's just justified
2: as the safe versus sorry, rather than sorry kind of mentality. But what we're seeing is that on a systemic level, these are like sustained attacks against our communities. I mean, highlighted also like with. That they're going to put children into, like, concentration camps and they're determined to separate families. It's a war of terror against our communities designed to, like, intimidate us into, like, the shadows. And, you know, uh, the Border Patrol and other, like, foot soldiers of this horrible imperialist, like, fascist regime are, uh, you
1: know, the, the main enforcers. But mm-hmm. we, it's a bigger systemic issue and I'm yes. glad that we're talking about it. Yes, Absolutely. And the, and the crazy part is is that not that these things are uncommon, but they're but they're becoming more common because people are calling these people out. So this is only one of several big events that yeah. happened like this. Another one happened in Manhattan, New York, where a oh, New York attorney, um, Aaron Slosberg, was harassing another woman speaking um, Spanish in a um, I, think, I believe it was a restaurant or a deli over there. there were. And not only does he verbally berate this woman for speaking Spanish and saying he's going to call lies and that people like her are the reason that um, people don't have jobs. But he even has, like, the, the fucking audacity to body shame this woman, too, yeah. once he gets ran out of the store. Yeah. Now, as you've probably seen, I think this is the one that's probably got the, the most attention, actually, is that this guy has been... Um, rightfully shamed and fucking dragged by oh yeah the internet he's uh got this bar from what i heard uh his um where he is renting out for the space for his law firm he was kicked out of there as well um you could look at videos everywhere online of the paparazzi and oh. uh just harassing him on the stage which I, like I said like this is fucking well deserved you know i highly recommend watching the videos of him <laughs> going full armadillo mode
2: and uh and just, you know, not all heroes wear capes. Oh, like, to that, yeah. so that journalist that got up in his
1: face as he just, like, tried to hold, hold an umbrella, you, sir, are our hero. No, shout-out to New York. New York don't play. They, they get up in your face out there, you know. They, like, New York, New York ain't with that shit, you know. So shout-out shout out to y'all for, um, for, um, for, for holding, you know, these people accountable. But I think it goes down, like you said, to a, this, a bigger systemic, um, a broader issue. But I think that it, br- it brings the light that... um. People who hold these very, very toxic and dangerous ideas, they're not regulated to the common conception that, oh, these are backwater folk or rednecks or you're uneducated types. No, as you see, they're lawyers, they're doctors, they're teachers, they're your police officers, yeah, you know, your like judges, these, you know, <laughs> judges precisely. These are people that hide in plain sight, you know, they're closeted fascists, they're closeted racists, you know, and they're the most dangerous one because it's that insidious nature of it. Yeah. That it comes from a place that you don't expect. Yeah, and it'll oftentimes be got under the guise of this American
2: nationalism concept that they're always, you know, historically trying to push as a way of justifying their xenophobia and racism and violence. Um, we're seeing large amounts of terroristic violence for particularly white men that gets brushed under the rug under the guise of mental illness. Uh, while our communities are like losing fathers and sons and brothers and daughters and moms, uh, violence just in the streets from these same state actors that are Mm -hmm. like justified every time um or at least that's what the da say uh yeah i'm it's it's part of a bigger problem uh tied directly to like this privilege of violence that white males
1: in particular seem to enjoy yeah exactly you know like you were saying you know like it's it's continually excused while others are castigated you know like we just saw um we saw a horrible, um, uh, another horrible mass shooting take place um, last week, and by and large, it's kind of already kind of um, the media's kind of moved on. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, you know, reports that this um, this kid that carried this out, you know, was um, infatuated with the guns, had a bunch of Nazi paraphernalia on him, of course. which of course, but I, which of course, you know, like that has been completely disregarded and brushed under the rug where had this had this individual that shot at school been anything other than a shade darker than the sheet of paper we have right here you know that they would have been oh these are these people are animals they need to be sent back to their country or they're terrorists or you whatever run-of-the-mill um you know uh, slandering of entire groups of people you know this administration has done you know um for the past several years It's true, and no one really wants to mention that both of
2: these, like, largest mass shootings lately within the last year, uh, one done by Nicholas Cruz in Parkland, Florida, and the other one recently done in Santa Fe Springs or Santa Fe High School down Mm. in Texas, um, there was, you know, ample evidence that these were carried out by people who had been infatuated and if not influenced by right-wing propaganda, if not like uh, white nationalists or or American nationalist perspectives. Um, The fact that these mass shootings are being completely disregarded uh, for what they are, which is right-wing terrorism, um, is a troubling sign in a country that already has a long history of supporting right-wing, like, fundamentalist terror against people of color. I mean, whether it be lynchings or whether it be police shootings or neighborhood watch lynchings that are happening in our country on a daily basis now, um, it never really stopped. So ultimately that yeah. like what well, that's what brings us to this point in time where organizing is our only way of defending our communities absolutely
1: organize 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 if you're not already in a group organization get out there find like-minded people find something that you're passionate about oh, and with yeah. that said um, we got a great show lined up for you with another great organizer um, just a, a, a wonderful human being um, we hope you enjoy um, if this is your first time uh, tuning in, we hope you come back. If this is if you've already joined us again for your second time, thanks for coming back as well. Appreciate it. Hopefully, see you more. Okay. And we out. Internet's our guest on today's episode of Step Off Radio is a member of the humanitarian aid group Border Angels, an all volunteer nonprofit organization that advocates for human rights, humane immigration reform, and social justice with a special focus on issues related to the U.S. Mexican border. The organization engages in community and education awareness programs that include guided trips to the desert to place water along migrant crossing routes, as well as to the board to learn about the history of U.S.-Mexico border policy and experience the border fence firsthand. So, Internets, it is with my great honor to introduce to you the director of the Border Angels Water Drop, Jacqueline Aureliano. Welcome. Thank you for coming out to the show with us today.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: So for those unfamiliar, um, what is Border Angels and what's the org's uh, overall mission?
3: Man, you know, I always describe it like we um, are just working to preserve migrant life and dignity. Like that is the big overreaching mission. And that has, over the past 30 years that they've been around, like really evolved. And most recently, in the last couple years, um, We've had to really up the ante for obvious reasons um, to, because those things, Migrant Life and Dignity, are both taking a hit Mm -hmm. um, on all sides lately. So we do a lot. We do the, well, I'm the director of the Water Drop event. um, So once a month, we take water out to the desert and place it along migrant routes, about 100 people from the public volunteer every month we also have the advanced water drops, so we have like kind of more like remote locations for like more like advanced hikers can go and and actually like take water up to the to the border line um we've been getting way more involved in tijuana mm-hmm. and hopefully other border towns we've made trips to um refugee camps in sonora and so aside from like just general education we get in there
1: you know? okay and How did you personally come to be involved with organizing and orchestrating the water drops?
3: That was, like, a weird, like, organic process. So, um, I got involved with Border Angels, like, really, like, on the periphery. So, I'd heard about them. I was raised on the border. I was raised in Imperial Valley. And so, like, Ángeles de la Frontera was, like, you know, like, everybody knew Enrique. Like, you see him on TV or, like, whatever. And following the cause, like, online and everything, like, I'd always heard about Border Angels. And in 2014... um, when the unaccompanied migrant children were coming from Central America and that made big news and there was that really shitty protest in Marietta. Mothers and young children from Central America crowd a bus station in Phoenix, Arizona. They were dropped off here by U.S. Border Patrol officials and left to fend for themselves. In the past two months, tens of thousands of Central American women and children have been escaping intolerable violence and poverty at home believing they can get legal status in the U.S. About 1,000 unaccompanied children who turned themselves in to the Border Patrol are being held in this warehouse in Nogales, Arizona. They were transferred from Texas, where government shelters have been overwhelmed. Yeah, that fucked me up. I was like, I have to do something, but I felt like I didn't know where to start. And so I saw a list online and it was like Border Angels this is like we need diapers, we need this, we need that, because remember they like rerouted people and Border Angels was placing them like in homes. And so I, was, I just like went to Costco right after work and filled my cart and delivered it and I was like, all right, like this organization is cool, you know, like they're actually like doing direct action. But the water drops I got involved with because those opened to the public in 2016, they used to be private. Like Enrique used to take groups like churches and schools and stuff, mm-hmm. like we would take them um, out to the desert, like on kind of more sponsored trips, like um, where they got a private event, you know? And
1: how big were these groups?
3: Um, I don't know, I think like probably like like a classroom size. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then Jonathan Yost, um, the former water drop director, he had the idea of making it like a Facebook event. And that's when I finally saw it, like because I was following Border Angels like all those years. Mm-hmm. I saw the event and then I had to find a friend to go with me because I do not want to go by myself. And I went the first time. <laughs> March of 2016, and there was only 14 people. And I just kept going, and in November of 2016, with the election, there were over 400 people there. So it just kept growing and growing and growing, and then um, Jonathan stepped down as director to focus on his grad program, and I stepped up. Like, I just, you know, they needed people to start leading routes, and I agreed to it. But, like, every step of the way, I was kind of, like, hesitant. to get into like a leadership role mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like I think like it's kind of always like that well what the fuck do I know
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I definitely know how that goes sometimes in organizing <laughs> like me like <laughs>
3: can't you guys get someone more qualified <laughs> but yeah that's how it happened and it's been I've been water drop director for about um, a little under a year actually yeah
1: okay and is that growing? Is, are you getting more participation as time has gone on? With We're them?
3: getting more like refined participation, which is good. Because sometimes like when the groups are too big, they're unmanageable. So I actually started capping them. And, and um, where does that stand at? About 100, no more than 100 in the summer. Um, a lot of people sign up and don't show up. Mm-hmm. Which is like, we kind of calculate for that and hope that they don't <laughs> not show up, especially in the summer, because it's really bad. Yeah, it's hot. Yeah, it's hot. and. Um, I want to be able to, like, have the route leaders have their eyes on everyone and make sure nobody's, like, having symptoms or anything. So, um, we've gotten a lot more refined in our routes. Um, We've gotten a lot tighter as a team. Um, We have, like, our little chat going where we talk shit all day. (laughs) We hang out all the time. Like, we're each other's, like, only friends lately. (laughs) So, we've turned into, like, a real family. And we spend a lot of time in the desert. So... Now, like, we used to find, like, a consumed gallon, like, every now and then. And last month when we were scouting for this, for this Saturday's drop, um, we found 16 just along one route. Wow. So it's, it's really different. Like, we're, we're getting deeper into the desert and kind of getting to know more, like, where people are actually moving.
1: Yeah, I kind of want to get into that. So, like, for people that aren't familiar with this kind of terrain, especially people that don't live in the southwest, but I guess even people who do live in the region... Explain the conditions out there that, you know, migrants have to experience out there in the desert, you know. It's one thing to see it, like, in National Geographic, but okay. to actually be out there in the elements experiencing it, you know, like, paint a picture for people. The desert
3: know? is, like, no joke. It's no joke. Like, I've, we've all gotten some form of heat sickness, and I grew up out there, you know, it's, it looks like an, like another planet, first of all. <laughs> Everything looks the same. It's super easy to get lost. Um, in the winter, the temperatures get really cold, I think people don't realize that. And then the summer, they get above 120. Cool. Every year wow. they hit 120 at least. Um, we've done drops in 117 degree heat, wow. and that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we're we all like, you know, we're all to some degree hikers, you know, and we I've been hydrating all week for this, like you know, I like, go all with my electrolytes and <laughs> my one hundred and twenty dollars as like hiking boots and camelback and everything, and it still messes us up. So you know, we find one of the things that is difficult to understand for people is that like how little preparation and how few things they can bring with them. Mm-hmm. Like you first of all cannot carry enough water, and then we found like dress shoes out there, so they're doing this hike in dress shoes. Wow. I want a tacón. Like, (laughs) i was doing this in a (laughs) tacón. And um, one of the things, like, more recently in, like, the last few months, um, because Border Patrol slashes the gallons, which I know we'll probably get to, um, we have to kind of um, go into canyons and up mountains a lot more because we used to leave them in kind of, like, riverbed areas, and those areas that are accessible by... um, Border patrol vehicle or on foot very easily they get cut. So I've been at the base of a mountain and been like they're not coming from there are they and then you start climbing and you're like oh shit yeah they are. Oh wow. They are like it the most impossible terrain that you can think of like they actually are and we're finding like a diaper like they're coming with little kids wow. and stuff. So it's bad. Yeah. Um the other part that's really hardcore is that they often have to move at night. Yeah. So, like, in Sonora, I met a guy that had broken his toes. And they let him, he, he told me, he's like, like, so in like, I'm dumb to, to walk in the desert at night. Like, I always fall. I'm like, well, like, I've eaten shit in the day. <laughs> like, you <laughs> know, I don't know. Um, and, yeah, he had broken his toes, and they let him turn around. he's like, well, I'm lucky. He, like, usually they'll just shoot you. Because you know too much, so they'll they'll just shoot you. And he's hobbled back to the camp for a day and a half. And um, an injury like that can just be fatal. Like, if you get hurt out there, like, you're just... You know too much, they've gone too far, and they're just going to either leave you there or make sure that you don't get out.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's that's, (coughs) that's terrible. Yeah. So... So you said that you guys have been getting more and more involved with, um, in border towns, you know, mm. particularly uh, Tijuana. So you guys recently helped assist with the caravan of uh, Central American migrants seeking asylum
2: mm-hmm. in the
1: US. Uh, give us a little backstory to the situation and how Border Angels has helped assist the families and the individuals seeking asylum in this country.
3: Yeah, so the um, the via crucis migrante has been going on for years. I'm not sure how long. I know Border Angels used to have a more direct involvement. Pueblo sin fronteras does amazing work. Um, but it's been happening for years because not only is it so dangerous to go through Mexico as a Central American person, but um, you know, especially more recently, like our government is violating its own laws and turning people away for asylum. So they kind of have to show up in a caravan. In mass, in mass, to force their hand, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So the this has been going on for years, and um, we um, were contacted by Gaba Cortes, who's our SOS Migrante person, like in Tijuana, does amazing work. Um, she's affiliated with us. Her husband, Hugo Castro, longtime member of Border Angels, he's on the board as well. So they contacted me and said, you know can we raise some money for Pueblos sin Fronteras? Like they're, gonna, they're in Mexicali like in two days and you know, they need stuff. And we did like a GoFundMe and people responded and we thought like we were just gonna give them the money
0: mm-hmm.
3: and do the event and the United States, I don't know why naively we thought, <laughs> was going to um, adhere to its own laws and open the border and allow these people to like turn themselves in to be detained indefinitely. Mm-hmm. We knew it was shitty, but we didn't we didn't think it was gonna be as shitty as it was. So the the day of, we went to the beach, had that big event, you know. Got they had the march from LA. We met at the beach. It was beautiful. We walked with them to the garita, and people were crying. They're hugging goodbye. Like they're like this is it, you know. People were holding hands and. We're linked arms around the first group of like 25, and everybody's crying. And they walk up, and it's amazing. And then it was like, boom, they're not being let in. And like hours go by, Mm -hmm. and they're not being let in. Then they come back out, and they're like, they're not letting us in. Yeah. And we didn't have a fucking pamper. We didn't have a blanket, we didn't have a sandwich, we didn't have a (laughs) bottle of water, nothing, because we thought, like, this was going to be it, like, and we had to mobilize fast, Mm -hmm. like, so, you know, the caravan couldn't stay alone because of all the danger reasons and everything, so Pueblos Sin Fronteras was holding it down, we were making, like, sandwich line, (laughs) and... You know, urgent call to action on social media, um, girls from Pop SD, San Diego, like Julie and Nadia, like drove down to TJ with like a car full of blankets and we're in Walmart buying every blanket. (laughs) They're thinking we're weird. (laughs) We're buying tarps because it starts raining. It's a nightmare. So what turned into like I thought we were going to cross back like at 2. I mean, I crossed back at 5 in the morning and it was a pop-up refugee camp
1: yeah so yeah. for people that, aren't, how many people were, were waiting out there at the, oh, like, as a rest I believe
3: arrest? it was like 150 or like 200 total and they would have like a group that was inside the garita like mm-hmm. waiting like at the entrance because they were going to be like the first group and so they would kind of swap out
2: yeah it yeah, definitely sounds like a, a hurricane of emotions right like a big like a big uh, up and down because i remember being at the beach that day and seeing like mm-hmm. the joyous celebration of people like on the uh, at the on the La Playa side right just cr- climbing on top of the fence and like the youth specifically and including elders too who got on top of the actually got on top of the fence Penetrated the fence at a certain point, mm-hmm. um, and to hear that, like after all that like joyous celebration that was going on, that like people were denied just basic humanity is uh, incredibly upsetting. But I mean, it's yeah. good that you were there to do this this important work.
3: And it was day after day, it was day after day, and like nobody knew that this was gonna happen. Nobody knew if they were gonna leave him out there for like, I mean, it fucking was raining. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we got yeah. tents, and like the public was just amazing and coming through. We ended up getting more donations <laughs> than we can handle. And we have a storage now that's, like, packed. Um, people drove from all over the state, honestly, like, to bring stuff. So it was really cool, but, like, um, heartbreaking at the same time. Because we're like, dude, do we need to, like, just make, like, this tent city, like, semi-permanent? Like, when the fuck are they going to let them in? Yeah. You know, and they were letting them in like a trickle. Mm-hmm. It was so deliberate.
1: Yeah. So from beginning to end, how long did it take from the first person they led it to the very last how long is that we, process
3: we that event was we started on sunday the camp and they didn't close up the camp till friday
0: what mm-hmm.
3: yeah. night after night and we're there like with pueblos impanderas like in some way like a couple of our people like steven and jenny were there during the day and then we tap them out like at night mm-hmm.
1: and, and this is a deliberate thing too they have the staff they have the manpower to process these people but they're dude they're, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. They're the largest law enforcement agency in the whole country. In the like fucking country that's yeah. down that. in mean, Chingo and like we can start a <laughs> war over anything. But you can't process a bunch of babies. Yeah. Like for real.
2: Right. And that kind of brings us to our next point, right, which is that many people, especially those who don't live in the southwest or along the border regions, have no idea what these people have gone through, you know, just to get to the border first mm-hmm. off, and then what they're routinely, like, subjected to. Uh, and what's worse is that, like, a lot of times politicians will use, like, dehumanizing language, like illegal or criminal alien, um, to, like, be described, like, for them, Um uh, for these people. Uh, do you think this, work's help, uh, this work helps humanize these individuals and uh, put an actual face to those who are seeking a better life in this country?
3: A hundred percent. And we have to humanize them. We have to or else they get lost in this fucking rhetoric. Like, they already are to some degree and um, we have to, have to, have to. That's why we take pictures and share it because a lot of people don't know. Like, so many people don't know what the Bestia is. The Bestia is that train that comes from Central America that these folks rode on. Mm -hmm. They rode on top of freight trains, you know, and the guys were telling me, like, how they jump on it, how they stop the train so that the kids can get on it, Mm -hmm. and, like, it's a nightmare, and they did this for a month, you know, and that's nothing compared to what they were going through in Honduras and in Guatemala and everything, you know. I took Al Otro Lado is an incredible, like, legal organization over there, and they needed help... um, with taking the legal declarations of asylum. And, you know, we were just in a tent, like our hotspot <laughs> and yeah. they just texted me, like, bring your, bring your laptop and, you know, Spanish speakers, so we're over there. And then like, you know, people were telling me these horrifying stories, horrifying stories of, you know, they raped my daughter. They told me they're going to rape my 12 year old. They're stalking my son at his kindergarten. You know, I found notes that, like, by this and this date, they're going to light my house on fire with us in it. Every time I move, they find me, Honduras is little, you know. And these are not folks that are, like, these awful criminals that they try to make them seem like because all they want to do is, like, manipulate them for their own agenda. And because they're not complying, they're an enemy. You know, people Mm -hmm. think, like, oh, these are all gang members and everything, quite the opposite very frequently. It's because they won't be. Yeah. And, you know, that bring, makes them targets for violence. So, you know, we have to tell their stories. We have to show their faces.
1: Yeah, the, the challenge of the narrative, especially right now with this administration, which if you listen to them, will paint it like they're all criminals coming, which, which is quite, quite the opposite, really. You know, Animals, you he said yes. today. Yeah. Animals.
2: Animals. Okay. And I mean, all this, like, you know, ultimately, too, is just all kind of overshadow the root cause of why migration happens, specifically mm-hmm. in Central and South America, which is oftentimes directly linked to U.S. intervention. Uh, we'll get to that. I have a question about that <laughs> later. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, that, that often gets, like, swept under the rug um, that U.S. interventions, um, like, are a big, a big factor in this, right? Um, and, and in the pull-taking that goes on, uh, especially in the United States in this climate that we live in right now um it seems that they they're used as political capital right like these refugees are used to like as a as a form of uh uh, being able to like hype their own base like the the right wing's base. they're
3: being like with uh, both sides Mm -hmm. like in their home country they're being like messed with by the u.s and uh, you know etc and then they come over here and they're being used as pawns it's like Mm -hmm. Mm Dang, and then you detain them and you make profit off their back and then you go and insult them. It's like, how many, how, like, they're just, like, taking every last drop out of these folks and it's just, like, it's so, we, yeah, we have to show them that they're people.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So now, last fall, a video showing Border Patrol agents slashing and destroying water containers you guys and other individuals have left for traveling migrants mm-hmm. in the region surfaced. Now, this video, of course, it was dated all the way back to 2011. Mm. So this is an ongoing issue that you guys have known about. Like, this is something you guys have been dealing with. Um, how did it feel for the information to be brought to light to, like, a, a great, the greater public, really? Dude, I mean, that was
3: huge. So, yeah, that was no Mas Muertes in Arizona um, that did the years of research and set up the cameras and everything and got them kicking them, cutting them, like, actually. But we've been known. Every mm, organization yeah. that does this knows. Um people are like, Oh, who would hike all this way to cut a gallon? And I'm like, Is that rhetorical? Like, dude, <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> because like and people like really
3: like with this wonderment of just like this like innocence that they're like, Who would do this? And I'm like, Who do you think is out here? You're right. Yeah. Who else is out here? This is not Cow's Mountain. There are no hikers out here. And so we've been knowing for sure there was one time in particular that we found 50 gallons slashed and so we posted the pictures and people flipped out because they were like how could this happen and it went viral and that kind of thing and then um, after that we started seeing the gallons be punctured Mm -hmm. like discreetly. Like they get like a little hole. Try to be more (laughs) slick. Yeah. yeah, Because like when they gutted them it was like very visceral I think looking and that triggered like this big response. And so now when they puncture and people will be like, ooh, well, it could have been an animal or something. Well, sometimes, you know, an animal does chew on them, but like 50, like, come
1: on. 50, yeah. Yeah. 50 yeah. in a row. Yeah. Like, come,
3: like, come, come on, we're on. <laughs> on the full, you know?
2: Neat little punctures, yeah. too. Probably <laughs> the same like general region. animal. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we've been knowing.
2: <clears throat> well, given that uh, all this, you know, has come out about the Border Patrol directly, like, doing these things, slashing water bottles and making this work particularly difficult... How does uh, the Border Angels' relationship with the Border Patrol impact this long, this kind of work on a like interpersonal or organizational level?
3: You know, that's that's like we have like a I hesitate to say we. The organization has like um, a working relationship with Border Patrol to a degree that it has had for the last thirty years. Um, However, the climate of that has continuously um, evolved or devolved as well. Um, you know, Rodney Scott, like the new guy that just came in, he's not allowing the Door Hope event to happen anymore. You know, we used to be able to open the gate and allow a few families to hug. That's not happening anymore. We used to have events like you know, a symphony at the border, where like the Tijuana Symphony and the San Diego Orchestra would like play together in unison, that was beautiful. We'd have yoga and not gonna shut down, we can't do that anymore. Um, families used to be able to like chit chat and take selfies and everything like at <laughs> Friendship <laughs> Park. Now you can't even do that, like you, they can't even go to the mesh and talk to each other, like it's horrible. Um, so yeah, we still like have some sort of interaction with them because we want to be able to continue our work We're in BLM land, you know, so it's Mm -hmm. not like we need their permission. But um, ideally, like, in a perfect world, (laughs) well, in a perfect world, we wouldn't need to be doing this shit, but like in a perfect situation considering that we do, we would have like more of like a working relationship than a passive aggressive one, which is what it has evolved to, yeah.
2: So, you know, thank you for going into that. That's, that's very appreciated. I appreciate the information. Um. It's tenuous. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, right? Like. It's kind of
3: like we run into each other and, like, it's like, oh, what are you doing? Are you hiking. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, nos tiramos. Like, you know, but I have agents, like, in my family, like, I have agents that I know just having grown up in the border and stuff. And, like, a lot of agents will tell me that they appreciate what we do because they don't want them to die. Um, but then the other ones are, like, I know for a fact, like, Boar star agents that are the ones that are supposed to be rescuing, It was like, no, I slashed that shit. You know, so, like, and I, you, I know you guys have heard about that guy, Francisco Cantu, that former Border Patrol agent that mm. wrote that book that's like, well, we went to the book signing, and as soon as it was, it was like, any questions, I'm like, ah. <laughs> 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 I was like, yes, I do, and my are working for sure. <laughs> i'm like have you ever personally witnessed this
1: yeah
3: and he said he said no he said mm-hmm. he's never done it but that he knows that for a fact that it happens and that it is quote a culture of destruction within their agency mm. so that was straight from the horse's mouth
1: internets don't touch that dial step afraid we'll be right back but first a couple messages from friends of the show What up, Step Off Radio? This is Nate Witzel with sdloveshiphop.com. If you vibe with Rob and the good folks here at Step Off Magazine, then chances are you'll love what's going on with the SD Loves Hip Hop podcast. It's available on all streaming platforms. We recently had San Diego's own Odessa Kane, bay area spitter locksmith and 2018 sdma artist of the year nominee parker edison on the podcast right now we have dj bar one south central mc jack both on deck come and be a part of the conversation on hip-hop as a catalyst for change over at sdloveshiphop.com again that's sd like san diego sdloveshiphop.com peace love and hip-hop Now, I like how you brought up, like, the events that you guys used to do in Friendship Park. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, as you brought up, they no longer allowed that. Now, you guys recently took part in an event in El Paso, Texas, actually, where um, 300 families were able to embrace across uh, the Rio Grande.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Obviously, it was a very emotional event. Um, There was was even a woman that I think I saw on social media that she drove all the way from California. Yeah, she drove to San Bernardino. And she hadn't seen her sister in 10 Years, you know, and this just for a three-minute embrace, pretty much, you mm-hmm. know, like so criminally short, really, when you get down to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the California Border Patrol refuses to allow you guys to hold these type of events on our borders here in the state. What did you find the most striking comparing what you saw in Texas to like now what's in California?
3: They mob us over here. <laughs> they do. No, over here it looks like a war zone. I know those you guys that you guys have been uplies and, and compared, like yeah. Flyas looks all happy, and over in Border State Beach, it looks like the fucking Hunger Games. Like it is like, so creepy. Yeah, <laughs> so creepy. And same thing with our like Dora Hope event. Like Enrique said that there was like a dozen agent vehicles, mm-hmm. vehicles. Over there, there were four vehicles for four thousand people that hugged. There was like two federales on the other side. And like a couple, and the agents were like laughing with people and like drinking coffee and chilling in their car. Like they weren't like they are over here, like all posted and like making like faces at people and stuff. Like,
1: yeah. And keep in mind, this is in Texas of all places. This is in
3: Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Here in California, I think because we get so much media coverage, you know, Dora Hope's been covered internationally. And it's like, you know, same back to the humanization thing. That is a very humanizing event. If you see someone hug their mom, we all know what that feels like to hug someone we love and experience that emotion. Like, I can't imagine what that would be like after years, though. <sighs> or if you, maybe it's going to be the last time. Yeah. You know? And so when you show that, like it hits people in the guts. and like, I think that's why they make it so crazy over here. Like they can't, it's like PR. Mm -hmm. They can't have it, you know, think about like the psychological image that that does. It's like, if we militarize it hardcore, at least in image, that implies that there is danger on the other side. You know, you can't have, if you have them, like if you have fucking drones and Agents and dogs and guns and like all this stuff and that must mean that there's like an enemy not like a nana getting a hug <laughs> like, right. But it really is it's just a nana getting a hug. So like yeah, the event was very different very very different
1: so like with um, Along with like events you guys do and these Border Patrol videos It's gotten the organization a lot of attention has this newfound visibility has it translated to an uptick of volunteering and participation as well yeah, we've saying. had
3: a lot of we've had a lot of um, increase in interest and support and that sort of thing. Um, we've gotten yeah, we've gotten a lot of people contacting us wanting to um, be involved. Like I think like all of us can relate to when you just see things going on that you just can't stand by and take and um, and I think people you know rightfully so want to join an organization rightfully so like you can't just be clicking on shit and getting mad in your house like you need (laughs) (laughs) to join an organization or else you're just spinning your wheels you know and then so so thankfully a lot of people feel um compelled to join us thankfully because they trust us you know so that's an honor and a responsibility
1: absolutely now Attorney General Jefferson Bogard Sessions, <laughs> the Department of Justice, recently announced that under the administration's new policy guidelines that families coming across the border with minors will be separated and children be replaced be placed in the foster care. Not because of safety or any tangible policy improvement, but out of the intentional, malicious attention of ripping families apart. How do you guys feel about this kind of stuff? Man,
3: this fucks me up, bad. Like, this, especially after coming back from the refugee caravan and, like... You know, watching women breastfeed in the camp. And you're going to take babies... And I said this even on social media. I was like, man, like... White people are mad about, like, SeaWorld. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, like, people were mad about fucking SeaWorld. Like, they were like, how could they take the whale baby from the whale mom? Like, that's cruel. And and it is. Because, like, fuck SeaWorld. But, like... um, How could that have sparked, like, this huge... Cry for like have you seen it? Have you seen it? You have to see it like never go to World again mm-hmm. Meanwhile, like now it's talking about legit camps that they're gonna be using military bases to house these kids So they're gonna be putting kids in internment camps traumatized children in internment mm-hmm. camps away from their parents This is horrifying not to mention the United States has already lost approximately 1,500 of the kids mm-hmm. The, from the wave of Central American kids that came in 2014, they have misplaced 1,500. How do you lose 1,500 kids? Yeah. So you're going to put kids in military bases like the, that they're already traumatized. Are they going to have any nurturing? Are they going to have any? like? No, they're not going to have any services. They're just going to be thrown in there. Mm-hmm. And there's no benefit to this. And there's no fucking need. It's actually going to be way more expensive unless they're doing it for profit, which is, hello, like how they yeah. roll. Mm-hmm.
2: You know what I mean? Exactly. Private prisons, like, which is know. a
1: whole nother issue in and of itself. You <laughs> exactly. Know? So, so, so no,
3: there's no need except, you know, families, all these people have, right. and they came all this way for their kids, you know, and they know that, and they can't be letting them get out with an ankle monitor and a baby on their hip talking about You know, my husband's head was cut off in front of us in Honduras, and, like, this is why I'm here. Because then Middle America's going to be like, oh, shit, that poor mom. Like, how can we help her? You know, no. Take her baby away, lock her ass up, and put the baby in a camp. Yeah. So.
2: This is a humanitarian crisis that is, like, being overlooked. uh, Oftentimes under this, like, yeah, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil kind of thing of, like, we'll put them in... Facilities like Otay Mesa and other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, military bases. Uh, which I have a, a very... I think I want to definitely ask this question about uh, the war zone that we re- referenced a little earlier. But before that, we'll get uh, to another piece of human garbage off of uh, <laughs> Trump's, like, uh, cabinet uh, chief of I staff.
0: Huh? <laughs> yeah, you know,
2: Oh, yeah. The Trump's chief of staff, John Kelly, uh, recently made some vilely bigoted comments saying that, uh, quote, a vast majority of illegal immigrants... <laughs> don't integrate well and don't have skills. They're also not people that would easily assimilate into the United States. They're uh, overwhelmingly rural people in the countries they come from, fourth, fifth, sixth grade educations are kind of the norm. Now, of course, Kelly's comments are complete horseshit, uh, but nonetheless play into this ugly cycle of racist, xenophobic rhetoric. Obviously, with comments like this being made so openly and by public officials, nonetheless, In the age of Trump and the rampant scapegoating and villainization of immigrants, uh, particularly those from the global South, like Central America and Mexico, uh, the public debate around immigration is the most toxic it's been in well over a generation. Uh, Why is an org like Border Angels so important, especially given the current political climate and uh, rhetoric coming from this administration?
3: You know, like, when you guys were asking me about, like, do we have more, um, like, have we seen an increase in, like, interest and all that stuff? You know, like, this kind of shit that they pull, um, I feel like it's not working for them. Like, I feel like they think they're making headway, and they very well might because right now they're in power, but, like, honestly, they have mobilized people, like, in a way that I personally had not seen. Um, So it's important, though, that we don't get tired and we don't get numb. Um, Of course, people bullshit yeah like of course they don't fucking integrate like yes they integrate but like should we should they lose their culture should they lose their language you want to strip them of their personhood you want to strip them of their families obviously I mean like unless like they become like them they're going to see them as 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 lesser than and one of the things that I really enjoy like watching young folks mobilize is that um those of us that are like, for a second, whatever generation, are really like, owning their roots. Mm-hmm. And that's helping us in this protection of those that are entering, I feel like. You know what I mean? Like, because it's like being like, no, you're not going to fuck with them. Like, like, we came from them. So... I forgot, like, even what the question is. That just, like, pissed me
2: off. (laughs) 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 Right. And, I mean, we're still seeing examples of this even to this day, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure it was within a couple of days that that video surfaced from Manhattan of that person screaming. Yeah, screaming about people speaking Spanish. And it's like, you know... I was so
3: pissed at that today. Uh, That got me so good today. (laughs) And somebody was like, oh he has a mental illness he must be like traumatized from like childhood or something which of course
1: is complete horse shit. there's Total plenty of people with bullshit. trauma that
2: don't fucking just aren't bigoted racists horrible xenobobes i'm like yeah. okay
3: because i just straight up like was in a refugee camp with like hundreds of people and like none of them got up in my face so like no don't be talking to me about how trauma causes racism
1: well, like the funny thing is like, like white people will learn Klingon and television memorize fucking spells from Harry Potter, but anybody speaks Spanish or anything other than English, they like lose their shit. I mean, yeah. like it's just. But and people won't come up with excuses like, "Oh, it's mental illness." Like, come on.
3: It's mental. Yeah, the come the on. woman was like, "Oh, I'm a I'm a like mental health doctor." And I'm like, "Well, I'm a mental health practitioner myself with ten years of experience." So, boom. Yeah. and I've been yelled at like that like multiple times where they all mentally yell, and I have never been yelled at like that by a black person I've never been yeah. yelled at like that by like an Asian person never I sure have been called a wetback though multiple times, yeah you know, and yelled in my face, and it was all white people, so mm-hmm. like no yeah, it's a disease, but it ain't a mental one you yeah, know even here in San Diego um there's employees suing Albertans because they told them that they couldn't speak Spanish at work so and I was like what yeah, it's yeah. all they're speaking these times. amongst each other, so just that, amongst themselves. Yeah. yeah, amongst themselves. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I've been there, like supposedly like written up for that. Like, they tried to write me up a, a job for that, and another one they just discouraged it. I'm like, you can't. So, I, I really, you know, I'm, I'm a little older than like the generation of like, you know, like I'm a little older than a lot of the people in the organization and stuff. So it's kind of cool because like I saw what it was like before social media. And we didn't have one another. Like mm-hmm. this we didn't have like um like fuck that. <laughs> you know I mean? like, fuck that. Like don't put up with that shit. And like and it's been it's been really cool to see. And I'm like, I'm I'm like, I'm not even jumping on board of that. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: now of course these microaggressions, this is nothing new. This has been happening in America mm. since the founding, but let's get to I guess you could say the big fish, you know, the grand dragon in chief that some may say, Donald Trump. Donald Trump is easily without question the most openly bigoted individual we've had occupied the White House in well over a generation. He ran a campaign which at its core was built on the sowing of fear and stoking of racial tensions in the U.S. As we all know, Trump kicked off his campaign from the very beginning, broadly villainizing Mexicans as criminals and rapists. Now, obviously, as we've said, this is led to a whole tsunami of rhetoric and racial tension in this country, just over the past several years alone. Has this made your guys' work more difficult or has it only strengthened your resolve to continue on with this?
3: Both. Both. Both, for sure. I was just thinking, I was like, man, like, I just want to (laughs) rest. Like, I "I just want a fucking break. (laughs) Like, I just want to rest and like, so it's been exhausting, it's been exhausting since Trump came into the picture, and, um, but it's made it easier because for the same reason that we, to- we were talking about before is that people are just more into it. Um, and there's the fire under people's ass now. You know, like We used to have like, a lot of people show up to the water drops and, and they would come once only Mm-hmm. and um, they would take their Instagram pictures with the gallon, which is very cute. We encourage it, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. like, and all that stuff. Like, I'm not hating on it and everything, but we always like, you know, we're like, hey, who's here for the first time? Everybody, and then who's here for returning? And like, one or two hands. Now I get the list, I'm like, boom, I recognize all these names. Like, we've got like a like little squad coming to the <laughs> desert that we know because they are committed. So it's made it a lot easier to have like a unified team and be organized, like it's kind of just happened organically because people fucking hate them so much. But there's so much work to do now because like every fucking day it's like, what now?
1: Yeah. So as you said, people are more mobilized than they've been in years past. Mm -hmm. But with that said also, that brings a lot of opposition as well. In this current era of extreme anti-immigration sentiment, are you guys taking any different measures or precautions?
3: how the organization um, functions
1: No.
3: No. <laughs> Honestly, no. Um we have some contingency plans for things. You know what I mean? And we have like um like we're having a meeting tomorrow and we we do run over that like you know, to date um a lot of it's been all bark um, we get a lot of hate mail whenever any Enrique's on Fox News. <laughs> like, they asked me to be on it, and I was like, dude, no, I need to like, center myself before Fox News. <laughs> I'm like, if and when I'm ever on there, I'm like, no, I'm going to be like, hold on. <laughs> I need to bring it. But um, every time Enrique's on there, like we get hate mail, and we do get threats. Um, like, oh, um, all you fucking Mexicans have a target on your back, and... Um, I can't even repeat, like, some of the shit because it's, like, not even slurs towards our racial category. And I'm like, for real? Like, you're confused. Um, <laughs> so, but a lot of it, it's been all bark, you know. There, We do, I'm not going to reveal it, have, like, some measures that we take, like, as far as the water drops and, like, privacy and everything. Um, we have some contingency plans, like, were people to become aggressive um, at... To date, all we've had is people yell fucking wetbacks or fucking illegals or some shit like that. And we're just like, all right. It's
1: like, cowardly shit. Yeah, yeah. so original. <laughs> 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 so I think, I, I think you might have answered this question kind of, but like, um, so that said, over the past year and a half or so, has the organization, has the organization been um, impacted or has it been remained fairly the same since the start of the Trump administration as far as just workload? Uh, participation and just overall
3: the works just become more complex um, you know we're gonna be starting to offer I'm really excited about this um, one of our really um, committed um, safety monitors um, Sophia is going to be starting a therapy services um, because people have fucking PTSD you know like they're dealing with emotional trauma you have people being detained and then released and they're like what now and They've got questions. Our legal team is like hustling. Um, our day labor outreach, our Know Your Rights outreach has to evolve as well. Um, our shelter outreach in Tijuana has definitely exponentially grown. So we have a lot of work to do, but like, you know, many hands,
2: yeah. Awesome. And we in the, uh, you know, it's all, that's really good to hear that there's all this, these campaigns going on mm-hmm. uh, right here in our region Um, kind of touched on this a little earlier uh, but historically you know when we're talking about uh, things going on that the US government does the US government has often used the false narrative for like the concern for human rights uh, as a means to justify invasions and occupations of sovereign nations uh, given the conditions at the border uh, and what they put people through on a routine basis, depriving them of their humanity, um, how do you feel about the U.S. State Department's concern for human rights everywhere but here, seemingly, right? Like,
3: Yeah, it's shit, because people don't even know that there is a humanitarian crisis happening here. Like, upwards of, you know, nine, ten, eleven thousand 11,000 people have died in the desert, like just since, what, like the mid-90s when Operation Gatekeeper? So, uh, people have no idea.
1: And of course, yeah. these are these are incomplete stats too, this is only Oh what, yeah, you know, no, yeah.
3: they've already been popped for like um, underestimating. I think like the 10,000-ish range, which I hate doing because these are human beings, you know? But that is the most accurate, that one is like via, you know, really solid research through UCSD and everything. They really lowball it, and um, like people have no idea. I didn't know the number of deaths. I knew though, like about border crossing, and I knew about desert crossing just because of my upbringing and where my upbringing was located. But what's really like a little shocking to me is how little people know in San Diego, given that San Diego is technically a border town. I know San Isidro is a border town, but San Diego is, you know, it's fronteriza, too. It's right there. And people really don't know what's going on in the desert. Like, they don't have any idea what's going on in the mountains of, like, Campo and Tecate and all that stuff and that, um, because it is not published. You know, one of the things people, like, um, don't realize is how much danger people continue to be on, like, after they cross. Um, and you know, I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but it kind of touches on no, like, please, please, how please they know. change like you know people think like if, like you're getting the complete narrative like when you uh, when you ingest news via mainstream media, like that they're content with that, they don't dig further, and they don't make any further connections, and like that scares me because um you know if we're programmed that way mentally to not be curious about seeing what the fuck the government's doing then we miss things like people are like okay so the like coyote gets them to the freeway and they get picked up and they go off into the sunset to live happily ever after no they're fucking being on high speed chases (laughs) they're dying on our freeways and I personally witnessed one of these accidents like where border patrol put spike strips down and flipped an SUV and people tumbled out and I was just like in my car with my family being like what the fuck People dying in front of us and that's just border life but you know I looked for that accident that happened in 2003 I looked for that accident and I couldn't find it in the news yeah and that's the part like it's not just sweeping it under the rug it's not there's no rug. Yeah. It's not even being, like, nobody's even acknowledging
1: it. It's important to note that, like, if, if this was happening in any other country, oh, the United yeah. States would be condemning it, yeah. like, the or next day. Out. Yeah. Well, not in every other country, right?
2: Because we just saw in just, Gaza yeah, we and all that, you well, we know, what yeah, just happened. Well, yes. But, I mean, like, you're exactly right. Like, if Venezuela or Cuba or any other country that the United States loves to demonize and just, like, posture up for, like, eventual intervention or some sort of just expansion of imperialism, uh, we'd be seeing a massive. Of, like up of all like, oh, the human rights and we have to give it the opposition guns and all this stuff like that um, and involve ourselves militarily but and this kind of segues into my next question uh which is in your opinion you know considering we talked about operation gatekeeper a little bit um and the conditions that the border patrol will willfully put onto people traversing the hot desert the dangerous desert um do you consider the border to be an active war zone and absolutely. if so please explain
3: absolutely um prevention through deterrence kills people And that's the name of the program they actually call it the term funneling where they funneled people from urban survivable areas to less survivable areas the thing that people get wrong there's so many layers to this the thing that people get wrong is that Border Patrol actually wants to stop immigration Um, because people are like even like within our own circles like people will say border patrol is funneling through the desert so they won't get across so they'll die and they won't get across and it's like no <laughs> like because that fucking 30 foot dick swinging wall that like is just <laughs> going up in Calexico, that I spoke to Mexican police and they told me they're like they're struggling to even keep it like constructed because they're doing such a shoddy job of it 30 feet it's in downtown Calexico. Nobody crosses by the mall. You know, nobody's crossing by the fucking outlets. But you know where they are crossing? Like five, seven miles east in the desert where we're hiking, where there is zero. So they're not actually like trying to deter anything. They know where they fucking are. We've been out there hiking and Homeland Security showed up.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: We've been out there hiking and like one of the agents was like, oh, it took you longer to get out this time. Jeez. I wonder how many times they've seen us all like pee out there, like hear our conversations. (laughs) They got cameras everywhere. 150 billion dollars invested. You think it can't like you know actually like stop some folks? Prevention through deterrence is all mental, and it is to kill people. But it's more to send a message that these people deserve to die. It's not that they want to actually stop the flow of migration because the flow of migration is what keeps this country running. it is more to keep these people a permanent underclass, a permanent exploitable underclass. So if they're not empowered, if they're always kept in the shadows, if you break them before they get here, and you get scared, I remember reading an article about like um, like chicken plants, like chicken processing plants, and about how they were taking buses to like Guatemalan and, and um, Honduran and you know different Central American um, shelters, like churches, that were sheltering these folks, like when they came from Central America, because they said Mexicans are um, pigeons; they always fly home to roost. So prevention through deterrence is just the preventing them flying home, because they're not going to want to fucking cross that desert again. They're just keeping them here. So yeah, I think it's a war zone. It's an, it's they're economic refugees if they're from Mexico, because they're being held here. And once they're here, I mean, we're all paying the same shitty rent. You get caught in this cycle of your own fucking, you know, capitalism-induced poverty over here, and you can't get ahead, and you can't go back. And it is an active war zone, because they're killing people for their own agendas, which is what war is.
2: You know? Just quick follow-up question. So because we've, like, you know, explained that, like, you know, it is an active war zone, right? Like, they're killing mm-hmm. people not only just, like, directly with guns and stuff like that, but with this idea of prevention through deterrence, right? Um, do you think that these like amount to uh, just the equivalent of like war crimes, right? Given especially that like we talked about a little earlier, that uh, U.S. interventions in countries like Honduras and, and Guatemala have specifically had these like trickling effects of of creating these situations of mass uh, exodus of people because of mm-hmm. violence and corruption that have like you know been directly tied to like U.S. intervention. So, do you think that like on top of just like what's happened in these countries of like Guatemala and Honduras? Um, that just like by the, going through the whole process that it kind of amounts to U.S. war crimes I, I'm i curious, I would kind of be inclined to say yes um, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say Do
3: I qualify as a war crime? I would say so because it's like, it's a crime against humanity I mm-hmm. mean like what else would you call a war crime like, right. you know it is it's the culture of destruction like the agent said himself you know and and so i would qualify it as a war crime especially but it's done in such a way that is such like a fucking gaslighting like like subtle war like where it's going it's not subtle in its actions but it's subtle in its perception over here because Mm -hmm. like people man they like really absorb the lie and um even people that are like sympathetic have a hard time, like, I remember speaking to a woman at that book signing event, and I told her something, like, they do this shit on purpose, and I'm, like, on a rant, you know? And she said to me, don't tell me that, that scares me. (laughs) (laughs) And she was, like, very, like, liberal, like, TM, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Like, she was with her, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) she was real, like, yeah, and, but, and she told me straight up, like, to my face, don't tell me that, that scares me. And I feel like she blurted it out from a very honest place. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, well, it should. Mm-hmm. It should fucking scare you. You know? Right. So um, I do think it's a war, but it's just different. It's, just, yeah. it's so complicated, and that's what makes it so hard to, like, untangle.
2: Yeah, I mean, you have the the State Department and other, like, government offices who are promoting this. Every single person that we invade, or every person that we're like sanctioning, which is I would say tantamount to like a, a crime as well, uh, which targets civilians mostly, uh, they're the worst people ever. Like they're always a dictator or, or a horrible regime, and that's broadcasted to the media uh, through the media to the people, and you get this apathy of like they're not even humans anymore. Like these people that are going like that are being demonized by the by U.S. imperialism. Um, so yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying about it. It's, The acts are nefarious and very, like, destructive and just, like, open, but the perception here is warped through media. Um,
3: Even, like, the rhetoric behind, like, the whole, like, migratory rhetoric, like, even the loving one, like, of, like, the, you know, the Mexican guy that just puts on his back back because he loves his mom and he wants to send money home and then (laughs) suddenly comes over here and, like, just for a better life, like, the whole better life thing is so incomplete. It's so incomplete, like, because, like... No, it's a fucking chance at a life. Okay, why don't they have a chance at a life? Who took it from them? Yeah. Where is the fucking money going? Who has blood on their hands? Like, all of these things are, like, way more complicated than just, like, hey, he felt like getting a raise.
1: Right. <laughs> There's a lot more nuance to it than I feel like it truly gets. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, we're gonna. This is kind of our next. My next question will be a little bit kind of more off, uh, off of this U.S. imperialism tip, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, uh, I could talk about that all day, obviously. (laughs) Um, But you know, doing this kind of work, I'm sure you get like people from all walks of life that come out, um, and you know, various allies from not only organizations but first time activists. Um, So, how do you mobilize allies from various backgrounds and various like you know coming from different movements uh, in your work?
3: How do we mobilize, like, you know, I feel like um, getting to know people and having conversations is one of our strengths. Um, we have, like, events in the community sometimes, like, where we just invite people, like, talk to a border angel. It just come in, like, you know, we've done these at, like, Blind Lady and uh Border X very frequently. And so we invite people just to come ask us questions and, and chit-chat and, you know, whatever. Have a meal with us. And like we're doing that on, I think next Friday, Café con Leche, in um, San Isidro. I forget what the café is called. I dropped the ball. But like, <laughs> um, but yeah, we have these regular Café con Leche events where people from the community can just come and have coffee and ask us questions. Like and this one in particular is going to be about the refugee caravan. So um, I think having um, conversations within these different groups organically like helps us be like, all right, this is like. Um, this is who you are this is who we are and we get to know them as individuals Um, because at the end of the day um, we all kind of and I say we like just like the people on my team we all kind of got in over our heads and um, didn't know what the fuck we were doing (laughs) And and we all started out that way yeah you know and I still feel like are you for real like me or them or like us (laughs) like really like this is what we're doing and um so yeah we just get to know people and like the people that are really like i mean i don't want to say down like because like fucking you know there's there's time constraints that are very real you know money and all those things that control us make it people have barriers to like participation and everything but those who have the resources of time and energy and everything to be able to dedicate um however much they're willing to that we would love to have them with like um that just kind of it just kind of flows i don't know we just like talk to people yeah awesome and in organizations <laughs> like we just go to their events
2: it's the best way yeah, that i've yeah. seen through organizing yeah, yeah we just yeah. go to their shit like yeah. my best like <laughs> i just
3: went to their things and i was like hi <laughs> yeah. i'm jackie and i felt so nerdy and like no and like they're they're friends now you know and um Different organizations like that, social media, of course, yeah. building solidarity
2: for real.
1: You know, different movements.
2: Yeah, it seems like you have a good balance of like approaching not only just doing the public outreach, like a general outreach of like doing coffee meetups and engaging with the masses that way, but also like you're saying, communicating with other organizers is a, is something I think we're as organizers we're all like learning is really important to like mm-hmm. helping. You know, uh, rather than chase the the smoke, you know, go to where the heat is, the fire is, right? Go where the people are doing work and meet those people and you can do more together. Um, So on top of reaching out to, um, you know, doing the general stuff, it's a division of tactics. um, Yeah, like,
3: when I took over as director of this event, I mean, we have other directors, you know, like the various like events. We're all really close friends. Um, I said, you know, I want to unify the the different departments of our organization. Then I want to unify with other organizations within san diego then i want to unify with the community like it was like a three tier but i didn't like have a plan like i just said that's what i wanted (laughs) to do and then it just kind of happened and it is kind of like that and one of the things as far as like organizing that i find really important and it's just like because of my own experience is that like i didn't feel like i knew enough i didn't feel like i was like you know um like activist enough or like um I didn't think I was like I don't know I didn't know anybody in San Diego except like you know like I don't know I just didn't feel like it was me like I wanted to be in the back kind of like having everyone's back but I didn't want to take like a leadership role because I was like intimidated or I felt like bad or something or not confident or like oh they got it you know and I remember one of the um route leaders um, Tanya when she came and like it was like her, she was scouting with me for the first time and she said something she's like you know watching you guys from far away it looks like you guys have your shit together <laughs> and it looks like this like well old machine and then you get close, and it's all fucking chaos it's all crazy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I really I like to talk about that because I want people to to feel like you know I never want us to be like this like too cool organization like I want people to always like talk to us and like come hang out with us
1: be accessible be accessible
3: yeah.
2: And that's always you know an important and and overcoming like a challenge to overcome right, which is like I'm with I'm I'm a communist. I organize with a socialist organization, and uh, not all of us like you know I don't think any of us in the party um, sprouted from Marxist forehead fully formed as perfect revolutionaries. Like we all grew. You can't get
3: involved unless you like you're fucking like yeah
2: perfect yeah (laughs) no like and that's like you know um, an important thing to acknowledge, and I'm a value that you did is that like. You know people feel this barrier I feel like sometimes they're like oh i can't I can't do that because that's what real or I'm not real enough I'm not a real yeah. enough organizer uh, and when they see like what the the real organizer are doing, it's like we're figuring shit out too like we're just yeah, figuring until an we make it
3: <laughs> yeah
2: exactly um awesome, Well, thank you for sharing that um,
1: yeah, um so to bring this on like, on a, speaking about you know on, on a more local level actually um Recently, the San Diego Board of Supervisors voted 3-1 uh, to 1 to support the Trump lawsuit against uh, California's sanctuary laws, um, going along with cities such as Escondido and Orange County. Um, Jose actually uh, spoke at that event oh, yeah. here I got a, to call the, the chairwoman. I got to call the chairwoman
2: a knockoff and knock Ann Coulter, and I stand by that. Hello, everybody. My name is Jose. I'm with the Answer Coalition, an anti-war, anti-imperialist, and anti-racist coalition in San Diego. And I just wanna first off say that I am ashamed that we have to have this conversation in San Diego. I'm ashamed that like, I look around too and I don't see anyone that represents me. I see gerrymandered districts. I see everything that is wrong with San Diego. And I have zero faith that you will make the right decision. But history will absolve us on this side. History will absolve us that stand against this kind of just politicking and just blatant racism. I was part of a coalition that went down to TJ on Saturday, Tijuana, and met with deported veterans and saw that they still love this country, that deported them to a country some of them have never even known. And the fact that we're sitting here and having this conversation with ignorant bigots, I will say, just flat out, who are arguing that they're criminals, that they're like that they're being deported for being felons, half of these people that I was talking to yesterday were deported for minor possession or little minimal crimes that most people never have to deal with in this country. So what I want to say is this. We deserve more. You all should resign. We, we, we should have a people's... Ability to actually decide what happens and who represents us in this county. And like I said, we deserve more than you, and we deserve more than a knockoff and Coulter. I fucking love
3: that.
1: That's (laughs) (laughs) petty, but you know, I am petty. No. Sorry. Uh, Petty vibes, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, um, what are your thoughts on the anti sanctuary bill, which undoubtedly makes cities in California? Uh, less safe not just for immigrants but for the greater public in general as law enforcement has given more leeway to potentially harass and detain people indiscriminately regardless really of, of their the citizenship status
3: I find it so fucked up like obviously and you know the thing that really grosses me out is that like okay, the people that are anti-immigration and that are in support of, like, this fucking lawsuit are so willing to give up their own rights. Like, you want more policing in your neighborhood? Like, you hate brown people so fucking much that you want more policing in your neighborhood and you're willing to turn over your privacy and that sort of thing to have more... You want to lose agency because you hate brown people so much. That's the part of it that trips me out the most. And I don't think they see it that way like okay because they're because they're not an immigration enforcement risk they don't care that there's going to be increased patrolling like in their neighborhood do they think that like increased law enforcement in their neighborhood is not going to bleed into every other aspect of life like for the everybody living there are they really that fucking naive and the answer is yes
1: well it's a it's a it's a very short sighted way to view the world because I I know I'm I'm gonna butcher this quote but I read somewhere someone said that like um racism is simply fascism that hasn't caught up the white people yet.
2: <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, and ultimately
2: and, they don't fear the cops they, the police. They don't care about policing in their communities they, in the, they the same way. They want to relate to? Yeah, right, because they're, they're <laughs> vested well, in well, class interests. Well, because the worst
1: of them unarmed people of color get shot for, merely for existing, but the worst of white people get treated with velvet gloves routinely. You know? Yeah. Don't you know you who know? I am? <laughs> like, did don't you know did who I know? That
3: lady was like, yeah. I'm taking my. Do you saw yeah. yeah. I'm taking my kids and I'm like, who the fuck are you? And she's like <laughs> talking. <about me. laughs>
2: but, but I would argue that this is why, like, you'll see this. You know, what we would laugh at, right? Like about, like, why? How? Do, why would they want to give up their more rights? Because I mean, we're routinely, I profile. I've been routinely profiled, like, stuff. Mm. You know, 16 years old. I'm a grown ass adult, right? Um. But, like, with these communities, oftentimes these are, like, middle class people. Their class interests, right, do not necessarily align. They're not harassed by the police. The police are people they call to harass others or protect their private property, right? So, uh I think that personally may have, like, an impact on why, like, these, we see these bigots in the, the board of supervisors who are like, oh, we need to make our community safer. And not, you know, they don't feel the same threat that we all feel when we see a police car rolling down the street mm-hmm. who I stops and flashes. me
3: yeah, my <laughs> <laughs> Where I'm like, oh, you know, they're willing to give up their rights, but, I mean, I guess they retain them no matter what. So, um, or so, so they think, you yeah. know, like, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. Like, they just haven't caught on yet. 'Cause yeah. they still have shit going on for them, like Well
1: one has to wonder if they ever will.
3: Yeah, and, and that's the part that I'm like, is the shoe ever gonna drop? You're ever gonna be catch up? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: And so yeah, the sanctuary bill uh, or the sanctuary lawsuit yep. and everything, it's trash. Um disappointed, not surprised that San Diego um showed its ass that way. Um yeah. What is it, Escondido in Orange County? To?
1: Along, yeah, with those uh, other cities as well. Yeah, those are, those are the vigorous.
3: big ones.
2: Just not, no surprise there. Just a perfect moment to, to point out, too, that San Diego's vote was, like, mostly symbolic, right? Because, like, they missed the deadline to actually join the lawsuit. <laughs> so I just want to point out that San Diego, San Diego County and um, all of their it's people who— the, Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, like I will argue that, like you know, the San Diego County Board of Supervisors, who is like a historically racist organization, just because of how the gerrymandered districts are, uh, not only do they waste our time, like with like you know their hate speech and, and giving a platform to these hate speech uh, mongers, uh, but they actually wasted our tax dollars too by like yeah. debating such a pointless, um, just Gone. symbolic statement. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless. That
3: is goofy.
2: They yeah. missed the deadline? They missed the deadline, so now it's just like, now if the uh, it goes to appeal, they can join the appeal, and they can send in, and it's just really all by doing that, they send in a legal brief, uh, which is called an amicus brief, like a friendly brief, uh, in support of this lawsuit. <laughs> so, you know, it's just red It's uh, specifically the, the chairwoman- uh, political red meat. Yeah, it's political red meat for their base, uh, is running for the 49th district also, so it's a way of mobilizing this really popular in American politics, Right. Hate speech, you know, gets voters out because you start talking about safety and whatever, and people, you know, believe they're elected officials.
1: Yeah. So with this said, there's obviously a huge chasm between, you know, how people view these issues. How do you think we can change the narrative or change how the media portrays immigration and what is really going on at the border?
3: How can we change it? I think a few things. I think where we have work to do is strengthening our voice as people of color, continuing to organize you know what I mean, like just being like more unified, less afraid, continuing the work, you know, holding each other up, letting one another rest. Um, that is one part of it. The other key, very integral part of it is white people. <laughs> white people. You know, somebody asked me that, like, you know, cause that chick that I was talking about, I blocked her. I had like a two post exchange with her and I was like, black. you know what I mean? I'm not doing this with you. I'm not educating you for free, dude. Like I have a job and an unpaid job. So I'm not doing the work. And someone like, we were, when we were in Texas, there was a couple in front of us and they, were, they admitted to voting for Trump. And I'm just like, Mm. Hell no! I don't have that face that like hides <laughs> anything, and I'm like, Ugh, like you know, you got the side eye, like, mm, you know, like, <laughs> and, 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 like, just doing that whole thing, and like, um, and and James, who's with me, he's like half Chicano and like very like white presenting, and he had like this whole like engaging conversation with them about that, and he said, you know, like if you talk to people sometimes, because like, they did, they softened up at least in 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 interaction, at least publicly, and if you talk to people. And I said, that's for you to do, homie. Like, that's not for me to do. I got work with my people. You got work. Like, you need to collect your folks. Like, so I do think, like, in changing, like, the public opinion, like, white people need to hold white people's feet to the fucking fire already. Like, yeah. and in a real way. Like, know?
1: absolutely. Like, you know, like, not just talk, you know, but like actually calling people out, you know, uh-huh. and, you know, but Rob... I like something on Facebook and I put a
2: hashtag resist on something. Isn't that enough to be an ally? Am I not an ally now? Is that what like are
3: you saying? my like, relationship's not enough?
2: Right? And I think that's what the point we're getting to right? Yeah. Is that like Oftentimes, uh, especially with, like, uh, we've seen social media, a lot of people will take uh, the social currency of seeming to be, and I use massive air quotes, woke, right, Um, (laughs) as a way of, like, kind of like what you mentioned with, like, the photos of the bottles, right? Like, look at me, look at me being a good person, which is a good thing, right? Like, we want people to feel good. I mean, self-care is real. I take those things. But from what it seems like, right, like, we need, we need, allies need to do more than just that, right? They need to hold each other accountable, specifically our white passing and white allies, right? Yeah.
3: Hold your fucking racist like families accountable. Call them the fuck out. Call them the fuck out. Like, you know, don't let this shit happen anymore. Like, people are like, oh, I can't go to the holidays because my fucking racist grandma's. Gonna... Okay, call your racist grandma. Like, you know what I
0: mean? yeah, like, real though.
3: why not? Like, I call out my dad for being problematic. Like, and I get in fights with him. So, like, if I could do it, you could do it. And you know, to Border Angels' credit, we have wonderful white allies. Like, we really do. Like. You know, Stephen, he was in the camp, does not speak Spanish. And he was fucking there day in, day out by himself with Jenny, another wonderful white ally. They're just doing what needed to get done. And they don't speak the language. And it wasn't performative in the slightest. They were just like, no, there's cold babies on concrete. You know? And so when they're having, they're taking this back to. Their respective anthills, you know what I mean? Like, they're gonna be, you know, humanizing within there because they can go where we can't go. Mm. Yeah. You know? And uh, I'm not really trying to go there. <laughs> <laughs> no. like, they can go where we can't go. Like, where one white person's gonna, you know, listen to another one. But at the same time, when they're in our spaces, they also need to stay in their lane.
1: Right. You know? Yeah. So,
3: so that's really important. There's like that element to white allyship, but I do think white allyship's important. Awesome.
1: Yeah, so with, like, these discussions and these events, do you believe that having these discussions or even stuff like this podcast, do you think it helps shed light and open people's eyes to the truth, really, you know, and what's going on? I hope so.
3: I hope so, and I think, like, I think it does, and I think at the very, very least, what I know it does is that people recognize themselves, you know? Like, they're like, okay, like, I'm not alone in thinking that, like, Mm -hmm. all right, yeah like they're they're listening at home like for real and getting hyped about it and and feeling less alone because i can't imagine how i would feel by myself right now yeah yeah if i didn't have an organization right now like fuck what listening to the news or watching the news if i didn't have a whole community that i can like reach instantly
2: it's isolating by design, yeah, right? Capitalism is, is meant to put us in these little compartments of like, you're separate from your communities, you're separate from your labor. And uh, yeah, like I can I share that sentiment. Like, and, and it kind of points to the validity of what you said earlier, which is that people need to join an organization. You need, you if you feel to. this, you know, rather than like wallow in our own just like, just despair about it, like we have to take power, right? Like, and, yeah. and doing that, like being a part of an org gives you that access to to being more powerful than an individual, right?
3: And I would recommend to people that get involved with with those that are doing direct action. Mm -hmm. Like, actual shit. You know, (laughs) a podcast is a product. You guys are doing stuff. You guys are organizing. That is, like, movement. You know, what we do is movement. Like, Mm -hmm. these are direct actions that, like, all of us do. And that is really, like, noticeable as you move through, like, certain organizations. Like, which ones are... I mean, awareness and educating, it has to happen. It has to happen. But I think, like, when it comes to feeling, like, like, that vent of, like... I feel like it needs to be both. Like, I feel like you need to do something where you're, like, interacting with the community and doing something direct. Not just creating content. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Oh, I, I totally know like, what you're saying. Yeah, like, I feel like if you're just creating content and like you get like in this like void of calling shit out and just being mad and like yeah, you know okay. what i mean and you're not you're not part of a community and like that's that's more like capitalism like that's more like you're you're producing and not connecting you know mm, yeah, and, yeah. and and so i think for people like go
2: outside you <laughs> know <Like, laughs>
3: meet some people <laughs>
0: right
2: take it from the computers off the computers <laughs> yeah. into the, In the streets, streets <laughs> right yes. um yeah that's the message we can all get behind <laughs> as organizers
1: so i guess i guess on a positive note overall what has been the most gratifying or fulfilling moment or experience working for border angels and along with that what has been the most difficult part ooh
3: most gratifying i can't pick a most gratifying Um, You know what's been really cool is, yeah, no, I can. Um, But it's not one. It's my family. Um, I have historically kind of been a fuck-up, like, throughout, like, my 20s especially. And I got my shit together a while ago, but, like, um, I was always kind of, like, weird. You know what I mean? Always, like, oh, la activista, like, starting shit and, like, fighting with my family. And I was always, like... You know I'm not married, and I don't have kids, and like that kind of thing, like it' always always a weird one, and even when I started doing border angels, it was like in the way so like, you know <laughs> what I, <mean>? like <laughs> I like you're doing too much and all this stuff and and then my dad came on a water drop, my dad crossed you know and and um he gave an impromptu speech, and we'd never heard my dad's crossing story. he'd never told it to us, and like as kids like you know, to not ask mm-hmm. and he just broke out and told it and my sister and I like had a fucking meltdown and I'm like route leader like crying behind a rock like and it was really emotional, like to like I felt like that was like a missing piece of my family story, like to hear my dad in the desert talk about what crossing is like and that you feel like a hunted animal and you can't sleep and like all of, it was like really like emotional processing for him. Like I felt like it was like impulsive and cathartic. Um, one thing that like um, with media attention like my parents have not really cared about like me being on NPR or like Mother Jones like they could care less. like they don't they don't care when i was on televisa though okay. <laughs> 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 when i was on televisa forget it like my dad's friends from the swap meet site like my Theo was on my clients at work site and like that like, gave me cred so like <laughs> has been gratifying because the only people who I really give a shit what they think about me is my family and and the people that I care about including my friends you know those are only people like that I'm like really concerned with my image so that's been gratifying like having them like respect the work and um, be proud of me I guess so like that's made me proud of myself like seeing myself in, in, in how they perceive me. And, um, what's been the most difficult has been the burnout.
1: That's a very, oh, that's a very real thing amongst organizers.
3: The burnout. There's no, um, and like, I, 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 address it very frequently, like on social media and everything. Like I'm, I, I, you know, I, I talk very candidly about like my anxiety and like, you know, when I'm feeling all fucked up or numb or anything, Because I think it's important that we don't act all like chingones all the time. (laughs) You know, above it all and everything. And, like, somebody told me, like, oh, you need to separate your emotions. And I'm like, I don't do that. I don't separate my emotions. My emotions are all in it. Like, I process, I vent, I do all that. But, like, nothing can really prepare you for the burnout. Yeah. And there's no self-care that's going to take Trump away. So, you know, because everyone's talking about self-care, and I'm all about it you know I'm a counselor I'm all about self care but the burnout is like something that like every single day I wake up and I'm like fuck <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know cuz we still have lives
2: yeah. yeah yeah as we talked about right when we walked in it's like the work never ends right and mm-hmm. it's like um they kind of I just have an impromptu question of like how do you um feel like how do you how do you combat the burnout like we all go through organizer fatigue um, Which can be overwhelming because we're dealing with a lot of frustrating, you know, like long-term goals and and campaigns that we're working on that oftentimes face setbacks and whatnot. So how do you recommend uh, combating this kind of organizer fatigue that hits a lot of, especially first-time activists or organizers, really hard uh, when they first encounter it?
3: Um, I used to take more breaks. I hope too soon. (laughs) Again, But especially in the beginning, I want to tell people to take breaks. Um... I used to take the first week after a water drop-off where I didn't answer any emails. Unfortunately, that's not an option anymore. Mm -hmm. So um, taking some sort of break, though, um, I like to travel. I like to always have a trip planned. So, like, I went to Miami, and I didn't do anything but eat and swim (laughs) and, like, whatever. Just run around Miami, and it was beautiful, and that really helped. And then, like, because, like, my eye twitched, no bullshit, from... December until like April or something like my left eye was twitching.
1: Ugh. It
3: was so creepy and like so taking breaks and always having something that's non you know non the movement based to look forward to. Yeah, you know it's completely separate. Like I I impromptu booked a trip to Austin. I might go by myself. Like I'm just gonna because I want to have like a moment where I just like. I get away from the border and I just like do me for like a little while and I'm just myself. Um, I feel myself when I'm with my family cuz they don't talk about this. You know, so I go home a lot. So I would say for other people have if you can't separate friends from your organizing because like time constraints and everything or you can't have like your friends that aren't involved cuz I don't like my friends all <laughs> um At least set boundaries for when you guys are just having fun and being yourself and fucking laughing and not talking about this shit anymore. You know, we had a camping trip and we are like, we're not going to talk about immigration. We're not going (laughs) to.
1: Right. That sounds kind of
2: familiar. Yeah. I say this, like, every, like, so often. We're like, we're going to get together. We're going to play games or something. And it's not going to be about politics. And yes. it always ends up becoming about politics. Yeah,
3: and, the, and, like, I had a, like, and it was so funny because what made me think of it is one of the guys, Jorge, he was like, can we talk about fun stuff? And, like, <laughs> it came from, like, also such a genuine, like, need yeah. to yeah. talk about fun stuff, you know? <laughs> and um, I had, like, a little debriefing party for the people that were in um, the camp in Tijuana. And just in my apartment, you know, I got pizzas and everything, and we're there and we're cracking up. They're playing like some like weird, like dirty dictionary game and everyone's like having a blast. Like we didn't talk about our emotions or anything. Cause that's like their initial like counselor and me wanted to have like, you know, where we like tie everything up in a bowl and talk about our feelings and shit. And we didn't do that. And it was perfect Nice to just nice. laugh. I was like crying laughing. So <laughs> laugh, exercise, drink enough water, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. drink enough water, breathe, don't hold your breath, um, dang, just all of the things that make you a human, don't stop doing them.
1: Nice, nice. That's all very important because like as I said, you can't pour from an empty cup, so you have to make sure that you take care of yourself. What do you guys do? So I uh, organize with the PSL,
2: and so what we do is a wide variety of things, but I operate our food share um, every Saturday in Wells Park in El Cajon. So uh, for me, like, take that's kind of like my little break, it's organizing, but I like it because I get to engage with the community. Do they still fuck with you guys? Um, you know, not as much. Actually, I take it as a point of pride to fuck with the Elkhorn Police Department now as much as I can, because... Yes, oh, yeah, <laughs> because, I mean, honestly, it's like, after what would they put us through, which was, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, you know, a whole campaign of intimidation, and eventually, like, I, the only time I've ever seen people get arrested via ticketing, which was pretty unique, like, to see, I guess, um... But yeah, like, uh, now I just take it upon myself just to, like, enjoy the food share and, like, you know, and say fuck the Elkhorn Police Department, as Rob widely
1: knows, at any given state. We're East County, so there's a very long, tenuous history between us <laughs> and the Elkhorn PD. But, yeah. <laughs> Going but, 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 back a couple of years now, so, even before all the stuff that happened back in, tw- in 2016, there's, yeah, there's a long history. Yeah, you
2: know, people don't love the Elkhorn Police Department, but yeah, I
1: mean, I'll, I'll do that kind of stuff,
2: um. Personally, are we talking about like what we do to not like yeah. not organize? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, in that case, uh, that just,
3: I play video I was games. like, what are you doing? Like not organize? And
2: you're like, I organize. I organize. <laughs> I have no life. I have been consumed by communism, <laughs> and, and I love it, by the way. Um, but yeah, like you know, for like self care stuff, right? You know, meet with friends, right? Like um, we try to tell each other. Most of my friends are organizers, which just by default kind of happens because all the people who you know, like, the people that have tended to be kind of shitty to me on the internet, weirdly enough, don't follow with me anymore when I'm posting, like, you know, memes about communism or something. Um, so, I meet, you know, I hang out with those people, right? The people that I value, um... And set like you said those boundaries of like let's not talk about politics. Uh, more than undoubtedly they're already going to come up.
3: It's going to come up, but just like let it come up. Like you know what I mean. Honestly, yeah. And kind of like delay yeah. the process. Like right. can you guys, like just like just like be for a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Can like, we be goofy? Like right. So I'm just like a really silly person. So I think like even just like within our our events, like making them not serious.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Helps. I know that we're starting up a tabletop RPG, Dungeons and D- Dragons-style game in the party. And that's uh, something I'm very much looking forward to because, you know, as much as we will keep politics out of it, I just look forward to an outlet that is, like, pure social and fun. Um, but, yeah, that's the next podcast, by the
1: way. It's D&D with Jose. Let's oh, yeah. That's, like, that's my spin. That's my spin-off. It's going to be, uh, what is the game called?
2: Eclipse Phase. We're going to talk about space horror. But, anyways, we're getting off
1: topic. Um... um you want
2: to take the next one? Yeah, sure. So you know, obviously, you've been doing this for a little while, right? Like, like you're doing this director position uh, for less than a year, but it's, you know, a lot of busy year, right? Uh, so, what inspires you and drives you to keep doing uh, what you're doing with Border Angels?
3: I, I'm in too deep. <laughs> 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 so I was like, I, I was I'm like, way I feel too far gone. Like, there's no, there's, I would not be able to turn this off. Yeah. Um, and and just like be like, I can't, I. I can't do it anymore. Like, this is just, like, part of my life. Ni modo. I have to find a way to deal with it. So, like, what keeps me, um, what drives me is the fact that I have stumbled into a position of responsibility. I'm not going to be arrogant enough to say that I'm a voice for the voiceless. Fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) But I hope to help like in whatever way i can to make people's lives easier and better and that's it like because there's so much shittiness and that's it
1: that's
3: yeah well so said much, well said give them water <laughs>
1: <laughs> now you guys are almost entirely a volunteer-based organization where can people go to donate money resources or sign up to the volunteer and help out with events put on
3: Okay, so social media is the number one place to get information Um, Instagram Particularly is way more active Um, Facebook like I feel like we put stuff up and we'll get like, you know 75 comments and like 1,200 likes and like page clicks and all this other stuff that we analyze on Instagram And on Facebook, we'll be like, 30 or something, and it'll be someone putting, like, a heart, and then that's it. (laughs) And we still put stuff on Facebook, like, for people that are doing stuff on Facebook. But I feel like Instagram, like, we have, like, our stories and everything. So, like, that's, like, a way that people can stay up to what we're doing. To donate money, please. (laughs) Borderangels.org. We also, you can hit any of us up, like, on social media and find out, like, whatever active campaign that we have going on at that time we tend to always have one. Um, The migrant caravan one just ended, but we are starting a new one for our, um, the Haitian shelter Mm. in Tijuana to buy them building materials. So they need cement and stuff. So we're gonna be uh, doing a campaign to, um, so if people don't want to donate to like the general fund, they can always just kind of follow us on social media and find out like if we have something more specific that they can donate to. Um, Buying our merch at events. We have some cute shirts that say, like, Bad Mujer and yeah, <laughs> <the> Trump <laughs> Stupid Bad Hombre thing. Yeah. So we have Bad Hombre and Bad Mujer shirts. <laughs> yes. And um, how to volunteer for our things. The water drops are the third Saturday of every month. Just contact me, Jacqueline at borderangels.org or um, look for the event bite. It's always on Instagram the first Monday of the month um, and on Facebook. The eventbrite link is posted. If you don't get in, just email me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we're we're pretty flexible. It's just a general guideline. Um, day labor outreach with Osvaldo is the first Saturday of every month. And that is honestly going nationwide. Like so they're starting day labor, I believe, in New York pretty soon. They have it in Colorado, they have it. Um, All over Southern California, different states. Like, um, so this is just simple, taking our Know Your Rights cards to day labor sites and um, giving them food and whatever they need. Telling them, you know, if if you get picked up, don't sign anything. (laughs) If they show up at your door, fucking let them break it. Mm -hmm. Like, don't open it. (laughs) That sort of thing.
1: Now, by the time this episode airs, the latest water drop on May nineteenth will have passed. Mm-hmm. But tell us where, um, I guess you guys kind of already did, but we're just for people that didn't hear, where can people find and follow you guys online to volunteer and stay yeah. updated? All the latest updates for the Drops? Border
3: Angels official on Instagram, Border Angels on Facebook. Um, email me, Jacqueline at borderangels.org. So just follow us on social media. We're on there all day, bugging <laughs> we're on there all day, like posting an article or just like talking shit or like whatever. So we're on there all the time.
2: Great. Um, so do you have any like closing comments or anything else you'd like to let our listeners know before uh, we finish up?
3: I would just like to reiterate, because it is so important to me, like the power of every single person. Um, and that you don't, everybody brings something important to the organization and that's why organizing is so important and so huge like we have people like I'm a loud mouth I'm always talking I'm like extroverted there's folks that are not and they're really good at something else like that I would be terrible at like you know the tech stuff I don't know anything um, and that is huge and like being organized i'm not good at <laughs> like you know what i mean so there's other people that send me reminders like did you do this did you do that and i love them for that and um so whatever it is even if you don't see yourself necessarily in the organization members that you maybe like or like admiring or like wanting to link up with it doesn't mean that you can't join them because you have something very special to offer, and um, I just like, really like to reiterate that because I think everybody's important.
2: Thank you for sharing that. That's very
1: true and very important. Yeah, thank you. Jacqueline, we love the work that you guys do. Thank you so much for coming out of the show. We hope to have you back on some day in the future very, very soon. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. Communism <laughs> will win. <laughs> and on that note. Word <laughs> up, no doubt. And <laughs> we out. This episode of Step Off Radio is recorded at the Justice Center, San Diego, edited by Gabriela Moreno, and our music was done by DJ Root. This has been a Step Off Magazine production.